So we're in Philippians chapter 2. Please, if you have your Bibles, flick through to Philippians. If you have your phone, you can scroll. So scroll to Philippians or flick to Philippians chapter 2. And as you go there, let me begin by saying as an introduction, we live in such a time as these that when we talk about someone giving themselves over for someone else, it seems to be like madness. To give yourself as a sacrifice, it seems to be like a foreign thing because we are so accustomed to be receivers and not givers. And more than that, you'll never hear people say, I have joy in that. I have joy that I'm actually giving my life over to someone else. You won't hear people say, I have no greater joy. You can put before me all the entertainment of the world, all its pleasures, all its lusts, and all uh, that it can give me, and it will not come close to comparing for me serving others. You won't hear that. It's madness in the world. You, you cannot hear that. Perhaps some people may, out of their religiosity, be nice to others and try to have some sort of joy out of that because it brings satisfaction to you when you do something. And perhaps others may do these things because they want to earn grace. Because what people really find joy in is tangible things. Cars, homes, and, and backyards, and, and even jobs, and, and clothes, and, and all these things. But what we're going to see this morning through this extraordinary man, the Apostle Paul, who leads as an example to us, who, 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 who gives himself away as a servant and as a joyful servant at that. And more than that, the Apostle Paul is an example to us, not only on how we ought to live now, but as an example to us as to what we ought to aspire for, as to leave a legacy behind. To leave a legacy behind for generations, perhaps, to come. Now let us begin then by asking ourselves this morning, what have we been learning through chapter 2 of Philippians? But to give ourselves away. Then I must begin by asking myself this question, where am I giving myself away in this body of Christ? Where am I serving? Where am I loving the brethren? In fact, what kind of joy do I have? What is my joy? And what legacy right now, if you were to be taken by God, I'm only speaking to believers at the moment, what legacy will be left behind for you to be remembered by? This epistle that the Apostle Paul penned by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is an epistle, as we've spoken about, of joy. But it is, a, it, it is an epistle that speaks about how you actually have that joy, which is actually to serve it is actually to serve humbly and joyfully without grumbling and disputing. And Paul, as he's began this chapter, he's explained to us that his joy in him would increase when he sees the brothers and sisters being of the same mind. When he sees the brothers and sisters who keep the same love, who are united in spirit and have one purpose in mind and then the apostle Paul goes on to give that perfect example on how and who and why we ought to work out our salvation with fear and trembling without grumbling and disputing and being that light in the world and that is Christ Jesus now the apostle Paul he adds himself as an example he has himself as an example, and as we will see in a minute, and next time we were going to see how he had an impact in someone. And another example would be Timothy. And by the way, the Apostle Paul has an impact on us, does he not? Has he not left a legacy for us to, be, to, to, to mimic and to follow after? And then we will see Epaphroditus, who will be another example of what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What it means to, lead, uh, to, to have an impact on people and lead by example. 
the Apostle Paul's whole life was for Christ and his people. He is the perfect and living example on how we ought to live in our little congregation here. How we ought to serve one another and how we ought to do that joyfully without grumbling and disputing. And what legacy we will leave behind. Think about sometimes we say, you know, we talk about men, those who are alive and those who are dead, that they've had an impact in our lives. We, we speak about these days, we, you know, we have men like John MacArthur, right? Has had an impact in, in people's lives. Uh, Paul Washer, uh, Steve Lawson, people like this. And then we look at some of the Puritan like John Owen and Spurgeon and Edwards and Thomas Watson. And Thomas Goodwin, as John mentioned before, a quote from him. And, and what do we do from these men? What, what, what do we learn? Do we learn what to do or what not to do? Re remember last time we looked at Philippians when it says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing. The Bible tells us that those who did this were an example for us what not to do, which was the Israelites in the wilderness. And so we learn from them what not to do is to grumble and to dispute. What we see here this morning in the Apostle Paul is that this man is the perfect example for us as a human being on how to put to practice everything that we've been learning and why. If we want to know joy, we want to know what kind of legacy we will live behind. If we want to know anything and how we're walking, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it does not begin with how nice you are at home to your children and how nice you are at home to your husband or to your wife. It actually begins within the body of Christ. It begins with your small little congregation where you belong. If you want to know how you're doing with your Christian walk, have a look how you're loving the brethren, how you are serving them, how you are sacrificially giving yourself away to them. Because that's our passage for this morning in Philippians chapter 2. I've titled this sermon, the, Paul the Exemplary Servant. Paul the Exemplary Servant. So if you're in chapter 2, we will read from where we left off last time. We'll read from verse 14 uh, to, to verse 18. And I've got basically just two points this morning and just an application. The first point will be a willing servant. And the second point will be a joyful servant. And then we'll have a little application for us. So we read from verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among you appear as lights in the world. By the way, if you have not heard, if you weren't here last time I preached on this, I would encourage you, to perhaps listen to the sermon online. Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. Then Paul goes on to continue, says, But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Brethren, Paul, our first point is a, a willing servant. Paul was a servant, a willing servant, who was not a grumbler or a disputer. He is the perfect example of what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling as we see God mightily work in this man and he was living blamelessly and innocent and he was holding forth the word of truth so much so he is in prison and people are being saved. That's, a, that's what we ought to aspire for. Yet his desire was for believers to increase in their love for Christ, to be sold out for Christ, that He would decrease and they may increase. 
Paul was a people's person. His love and his affection for Christ was so amazing. He desired all people to come to know the truth of Jesus Christ so that they may know that their sins are forgiven. But Paul had such a joy and such a passion and such an affection for the church of God. And that brought him joy. And what we see Paul here in his verse 17, that he has a heart of a shepherd, that not only he explains the, the, the scriptures, he paints pictures. Because here, by the way, when we see the drink offering, we're going to look at it in a second. It is a picture that Paul is actually explaining here, as he did in verse 16, when he said, Hold and fast the word of life, so that in that day I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. Now, these are pictures that Paul uses even in, in um, 1 Corinthians. To run meaning, he's talking about an athlete who will run until he was exhausted so that he can actually win the prize. So that he can run to the end. And, and he will bring his body to su- submission to him so that he could run the race. And then he speaks of this picture of toiling like a farmer who works really, really hard only to have the blessing right at the end of it as God will give the increase. And Paul now, he will begin to give this other picture for us as he says, I have been poured out as a drink offering. But I want to give just a bit of a background on the Apostle Paul because I think it's fitting. The Apostle Paul was not always like this, if you recall. He was not always concerned of the church of God, nor the things of God. He was more proud in his being a Jewish man who was a, a scholar. He was passionate and in his possession. He was passionate in his position. He was prideful in his background, in his rituals, in his education. But something happened to the Apostle Paul when he was born again. Brothers and sisters, when you are born again, you are a new creation. Paul no longer cared about his religious status. No longer he cared about his position or his possessions. He's in prison, is he not? He now turned his religious duties to spiritual duties to love the body of Christ and gave himself up for the body of Christ. And as we've noted in the past sermons, Paul went from pride to humility. And this is what we see when happens to a person who's born again. The apostle Paul was born again. And what did he do? What was the first thing that Paul did? He proclaimed the gospel. And where did Paul proclaim the gospel? In the synagogues. And what did Paul say? Jesus Christ, the one I've been persecuting, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. Paul the Apostle, we are told in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he worked hard, harder than anyone else. We are told that he has not just been in prison in Philippi, he's been in prison a few times. He was beaten, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked. He was in continuous dangers. He faced hardship. But Paul had such a love and affection and concern for the churches of God. In 2 Corinthians 11.28, he says, Apart from such external things, all the things that are happening to me, I am shipwrecked, all this, I'm stoned and left for dead. I've been put in prison. He says, this is the daily pressure on me of concern For all the churches. The concern of Paul was for the churches. And his suffering was for the body of Christ and for the gospel. Verse 17 of our text says, But even if I'm being put out as a drink offering. He's drawing this picture of himself as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of their service and their sacrifice and Paul is saying you are serving you are moving forward because don't forget they're they're all together in this and I've been poured out there was no rest for the apostle Paul there was no time to waste no time like the present time than to serve the people of God This is what we call a willing servant, an example to follow and a legacy to leave behind. 
He's drawing this picture and he says, I've been poured out as a drink offering. What does that mean? Well, being poured out as a drink offering was used in both pagan traditions and in the Old Testament for Yahweh. I'll give you a couple of verses so we can get our head around it. It was to bring a sacrifice upon the altar and then a priest will come out with wine and he will pour out the wine upon a burnt offering. And then the wine will bring some steam. So we read in Jeremiah to false deities. Jeremiah 2.18, I'll read it for you. You can jot that down. The children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the woman need the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they poured our drink offerings to other gods in order to spite me. Now, this is Yahweh. But then we read in Numbers 28.7 and 15.7, then a drink offering uh, uh, 28.7, then the drink offering with it shall be a fourth of a hen with each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour a drink offering, a strong drink to the Lord. And 15.7 of Numbers says, And for a drink offering you shall offer one third of a hen of wine as a soothing aroma to the Lord. Now this picture is obviously the Philippians who are the sacrifice upon the altar. And Paul is saying he's actually now being poured out up on them. And that means that Paul is talking about service here. Paul loved this church, as we've explained before. He prays for them. He has affection for them. He yearns to see them. He encourages them. He gives them hope. He writes them this letter. Paul might have been in chain, brothers and sisters, but he was chained to Christ. His mind was in Christ. His mind was heavenward. And he has such humility. He is saying that I have been poured out as a drink and offering upon your sacrifice and service. It's like saying, you are serving greater than what I am serving. I'm just, a, I'm just being poured out on you. Now I want you to notice there how it says, but even if I have been poured out the word there in the greek should be really translated if even since i have been poured out i've been poured out meaning since i have been poured out i am being poured out this is continuously happening and why this is important i think i should bring it up because there are two school of thoughts here two school of thought one says that the apostle paul was talking about his death I've been poured out as a drink offering, meaning he's going to die. Now, of course, we know the Apostle Paul, he gave his life away. And people will say that because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul uses the same words. And he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. But if you read the rest of the verse, it says, and the time of my departure is at hand. So at the time Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he actually knew he was going to be killed. Others say, in which we will lean towards, that's what Paul is saying here, it is that Paul is only talking about his continuous service right now. Because don't forget, the Apostle Paul himself thought he was going to be released. Even though he said, oh, it's better for me to go and be with Christ, but it's, it's better for me to stay. And so he had a thought, sure, I may, be, I may be killed, but his desire, his thought was that no, he was going to stay and be left behind. So what Paul is saying here in this, in this um, verse is that I have been offered as a continuous sacrifice upon your service. And it is happening now. What does that mean? What's the picture here that Paul is actually drawing out? Let me say it to you. Paul saw his life as nothing more than a continuous offering of service to the Lord upon a sacrifice of Christ's church that would bring joy and a sweet-smelling aroma to the nostrils of Yahweh. Did you get that? Paul's service, as he's been poured out, upon a sacrifice of the service of God's people. That was a picture he was drawing that the steam that was going up, 
that was a sweet smelling aroma to Yahweh. Because that's what Yahweh is. He's a servant. Is he not? Is he not the servant king? And so when we serve and we give our lives away to the church. You give your life away to the church. You will bring a sweet smelling aroma to the nostrils of God. You give your life away to the church and you will bring a sweet smelling aroma to the nostrils of Yahweh. Isn't it wonderful? And Paul says, this is my life. Nothing more. My life is nothing but a, a wine in a jar that is being poured out as a sacrifice for you. Nothing more than just being poured out for someone else's life. What made this man have such a heart? What made Paul Paul? What made Paul serve the people of God? What made this man so determined, so willing that he will pour out his life in the world today? We will say he was a madman. That's all we can think about. You only live once, buddy. Live it up. What are you doing? You're wasting your life on these bunch of people. They don't even care for you. I'll tell you what. Let me read you what Jesus said. And I'll show you where Paul was living. Why it was like this. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Guess where Paul was living? He was living continuously in the branch. He was living continuously in Christ. And that's what made Paul so exemplary. And that's what made Paul an example for us. Paul was firm in his foundation and in his convictions. He knew his Lord. He knew his Master. And he desired to please Him. That's what made Paul who Paul was. Paul was continuously fighting the good fight, knowing that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Paul knew that God is sovereign. Paul understood the sovereignty of God. Did he not write Romans 8.28? For all things work for good for those who love God. Do you think Paul wasn't talking about himself, that he's in prison? And he knew that. That's what made Paul Paul. And Paul knew that his life was used for God's glory and he was committed to glorify God because he was not looking for the praises of men. He was looking for the glory of God. Paul knew nothing in his life but Jesus Christ and Him alone. He saw nothing in comparison. In fact, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, we read in Philippians, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Did you get that? This is an example that we must aspire for. Paul knew that in his situation, the Lord did not leave him and he did not forsake him. The Lord was his good shepherd and he held his hand. Paul knew that whilst he was going through the valley of the shadow of death, Yahweh was there with him. Paul knew no matter what circumstances he was going through, the good Lord, he would justly recompense those who would do him harm and to the gospel. The Apostle Paul knew a better place, an eternal place. The Apostle Paul was determined to do one thing as we read in 1 Corinthians 2. 2. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What a willing servant. How far away from this what a man of God. He offered himself to the Lord and to the people of God. And this brought a sweet smelling aroma to the nostrils of God. Paul is a perfect example for us. Paul is a perfect example to, to fill in everything he's been saying. To love one another. To outdo one another. To serve one another. To have this attitude. Paul had all of that. That's why he could write what he was writing. 
And he says, I've been poured out as a sacrifice upon your service and your faith. He wasn't wasting his service. He was giving it away to believers. Not unbelievers. We're not talking about unbelievers right here, brothers and sisters. Okay, We're not talking about you going home and doing your dishes for your wife. And go, that's my service. Or vice versa. Okay, Put your men under the, under the radar a little bit. Do your dishes for your wife. But that's not what it's talking about here. This is talking about a sacrificially, a sacrificial service to the body of Christ. Paul says, I have been poured out, poured out as a living sacrifice upon the altar for you. I've been poured out. That's your first point, brothers and sisters. That's the willing service of Paul. He is a willing servant. A second point is not just a willing servant. He's a joyful servant. And I want you to notice as we read this, pay careful attention to what we read, okay? Look at verse 17 again. But even if I have been poured out as a drink offering upon a sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. And share my joy with you all. His word rejoice is present active. And Paul didn't say I rejoice only once. I am continuously rejoicing. Continuously. There is one thing brothers and sisters where we try to love and serve the body of Christ. Grudgingly. And disputing. And grumbling and gossiping, and slandering, and picking on the person who's not sitting next to me, on the other person who's sitting next to me. But there's another thing when you do it with joy. There's another thing when you do it with joy. Heart of thankfulness. This is totally the opposite of what we read last time, is it not? Do everything without grumbling or disputing. And by the way, this was a sweet-smelling aroma to Paul. Paul had gladness, he had joy, he had, he had the fullness of joy. That's what true joy was to Paul. True joy to Paul was not to be freed. It was not to go and get uh, better clothes, maybe better food, although I'm sure he would have desired to be with the brethren. But even that in and of itself didn't bring joy to Paul or brought joy to Paul was serving the brethren. Service is not what the world says. Serve, yes, serve. It's like a burden. Not when you become a believer. When you become a believer, you ought to serve from, from joy. He's been poured out as a drink offering. And what do we see? We don't see Paul saying, man, woe is me, grumbling, disputing. We don't, we don't see Paul saying, you know, God's got a hint for me. I think he's picking on me right now. Why am I here? Why are they over there? We don't see that. But rather we see this humble servant of God rejoicing in seeing others above himself. <laughs> His service was for others. Did you get that, brothers? His service was not for himself. And he says, a sacrifice upon their service. These two go together. Sacrifice and service go together. Service is your sacrifice and sacrifice is your service. You cannot have one without the other. And when you do both, guess what happens? Joy is the outcome. Joy is the outcome. Do we not see that with our Lord? Let me remind you. Let me quickly read this to you. How do we see this? In verse 6 of chapter 2, Although he existed in the form of God, he did not count the equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself. And what happened when he emptied himself? He took on the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And we read in Hebrews, 
that for the joy that Jesus had, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And we see that in the Apostle Paul. He's pouring out his life on these people. And they are serving together with him. And this is what caused the Apostle Paul to have joy. But most people, we look at circumstances, do we not? <laughs> we look at circumstances. We find joy not under these kind of circumstances. This is madness. The Apostle Paul had joy in Christ and seeing people live for Christ. He did not ask for fancy clothes. or No. Paul lived truly a satisfied, joyful life in Christ by serving the body of Christ. And by the way, and what we see here, if you noticed, and as it will say, I urge you to share in the same way your joy with me, is that Paul had a massive impact on that church. And that will follow in Paul's footsteps. I want you to think about that. What, what impact are you having in people's lives? Are you having an impact in people's lives? Can people honestly look at you and say, I want to mimic that person for the glory of God? It's, it's, it's crucial in our lives. Paul had an impact in people's lives. And he continues, he says, I share my joy with you all. Yeah, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I don't want you to have pity on me. I actually want to share my joy. He says, I rejoice. I rejoice in the fact that I've been poured out as a, as a drink offering upon your service. I'm rejoicing that you are also living out your faith. I'm rejoicing. What does all this mean? It's simple. That sacrificial service of faith brings joy. Did you get that? Sacrificial service of faith brings joy. And Paul is in partnership with them and he shares his joy with them. You know, how often you, say, you see people, you might meet some people and say, I love Christ, they don't belong to a church and they're always joyful. You know, I am not sure if that works, that you're joyful all by yourself. Joy is shared. You, you, don't, you don't say, I'm so over the moon, mm, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to keep this to myself, you know. I don't think that works. Joy is expressed and it's revealed. And in this case, it's revealed to the brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul is saying, in spite of my flogging, imprisonment and being mocked and being chained to a God, I rejoice more than that. I actually share my joy with you, my beloved brethren. What an example for us to follow. This, this man is rejoicing under such circumstances that you and I probably are never going to face in our lifetimes. And Paul fits so well in Acts 5, 41 to 42. This is before Paul was converted. But I see Paul here. Let me read it to you when when the believers were being uh, whipped and they were being mocked and for Christ's sake and for the gospel. And after they were released, it says this in 41 to 42 of chapter 5 of Acts. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And what did they do in that rejoicing? And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching as Jesus, as the Christ. That didn't stop them. They were told not to do it, and they kept doing it. In fact, with all the whipping and with all the lashings, they went out and said, we're going to do it all the more. But we see the Apostle Paul in this, do we not? And then he says in verse 18, now, this is my joy. Now, you too, I urge you in the same way and share your joy with me. 
I had someone say to me, you know, not long ago, man, you're always joyful. You're always happy. And I'm like, well, praise God. Thank you. Because, you know, you're sick and, you know, your wife is sick and you're always joyful. Okay, praise God. Give it back to me, man. Stop being depressed. Just be joyful with me. So if I'm rubbing off on you, then be joyful in the Lord. Okay. And this is what we see here. Paul saying, I just don't want to share my joy with you. I want to hear your joy because it makes me even more joyful. I want to share my joy with you, but I want you to share that joy with me. Share. Be joyful. If you're suffering with me, be joyful. When does this joy take place? Brothers and sisters, is it because they were happy, they were all singing Kumbaya together, they had blue chairs and they're all sitting together and having nice suits together? No, it was not. It was when they were under persecution. This is when they found the most joy. In fact, if you recall, chapter 1, verse 28 uh, and 29, what did the apostles say to them? He says to them, verse 28, In no way be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction to them, but salvation to you, and that too from God. For you, to you has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict you saw in me, and now you hear being me. You see? Joy comes, biblical joy comes from being in Christ, suffering for Christ, and serving the body of Christ. This means it was a team effort. They were in this together. They were living and loving, faithfully, joyfully, willingly, continually laboring hard and seeking the benefits of others above self in the midst of struggles and tribulations of life. As we've seen, this is the major theme of this epistle. And true joy is always, I want to say, I want to stress on this, always connected with living for Christ, loving the people of Christ, and sharing in the suffering of Christ. That's what true biblical joy comes from. And Paul, he's saying, rejoice with me. You're a living sacrifice. I've been poured out upon that. I rejoice because I am counted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. And that brings me joy. He had so much joy that he wanted to share it. But he's a perfect example for us, is he not? He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, well, I consider, I want to encourage you brothers to live your life for Christ the way Christ says. Because Paul says, I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. Paul says in Colossians, the same author, Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Whose sake? The brothers. And in my flesh I do my share on the behalf of his body, which is the church. We don't think that way, do we? We don't think that service brings joy. But it does. Service brings joy. So we've seen the Apostle Paul, who is a willing servant, and he's a joyful servant at that. How do we apply this, brothers and sisters? Well, let's understand something again. The Apostle Paul didn't hold anything back. He poured out not just some of his life. He poured out his whole life. And what did he give away? He gave away comfort. He gave away time. He gave away his energy. He gave away his life. Why? So that people will be more inclined to love and live for Christ Jesus. He gave himself away that others may behold the beauty of Christ all the more. 
Paul lived a life of self-denial. Isn't this the epitome of what we've been learning about humility and selflessness? Isn't it? How easy is for us to be consumed with self, self-focused, self-driven? It's so easy. How's this sacrificial service revealed to us? How is it revealed? In the way you serve the brethren. There is a reason why the Apostle Paul say, be imitators of me, just as also I am imitators, I'm, I'm, I am of Christ. The Philippians were following Paul and they were living their lives upon the altar. What does that mean? That means they were living their lives as a continuous sacrifice to the Lord. And so they will be blameless and they will be bringing to the Lord's nostril a sweet-smelling aroma. This is how we're meant to live, is it not? But in this world, we will be called mad. But what madness is, let me tell you now, as a Christian, is you chasing after the things of the world like a dog chases its own tail. And you will go around in circles and never be satisfied. And if that's you, you need a lot of examining to do as a Christian. Living upon the altar of Christ as a living sacrifice is where we ought to be. We can hear clearly the voice of God. We can see properly where God wants us to be and we can live holy. And then we can actually bring to God that sweet smelling aroma. If any believer wants to have great joy, then give yourself away as a living sacrifice. It will cost you something. Do you know that? It's going to cost you something to live this way. The Apostle Paul, our beloved Apostle Paul, says to us in 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but the things that are not seen for the things that are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal when we look at the apostle paul we learn from him how to live our lives and what legacy we should leave behind. And what it means to live a life of service under affliction, under tribulations that will bring joy. Paul left a legacy behind. So in light of this example, then we must ask, brothers and sisters, what impact are you having in Saving Grace Bible Church? Let's make it personal. What witness are you? If you're an older man, how are you witnessing to the younger men? If you're an older woman in Christ who belongs to this church, how are you witnessing to the younger women? Just to give you something to think about. If Christ was to take you, as I said at the beginning, right now, what legacy would you leave behind? And some men, you know, they like to leave behind the fact, you know what, I was a good father, I was a good provider, I, my, my kids were fed, my wife was dressed properly, and, uh, the, you know, they had a roof over their heads, and that's all good and well. But is that the legacy you want to leave behind? Should we not aspire to leave a legacy like the Apostle Paul, whom the readers, like us today, are still benefited from him? We want to leave a legacy behind that people will look at us as they will look at the Puritans, if God will will it, and say, that was a man of God. He lived his life for God. That was a woman of God. She lived her life for God. And so we must ask ourselves, are we willing to offer up ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord, to the body of Christ? Where am I giving my life? Where, where, where am I pouring out my life? The Apostle Paul 
he wrote in the book of Acts. Let me, let, let me share with you, as I said in the beginning, we live in a world that just wants to take, wants to receive. You, you know, if you grumble and complain, you know what you're saying? You're saying that you think you deserve better. You think you deserve someone to give you something or else you would not grumble and dispute. And that means you're not a giver. You want to be a receiver. The Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 35, In everything, he said, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Maybe we're too concerned in this life. The wife, the son, the husband, finances, business. I remind you of the Lord's word to people who desire to be his disciples in what he said. If anyone come after me, let him what? Deny himself. If he does not hate his mother his father, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. These are strong words, are they not? If Christ is not the focal center of your life, then what is? And if Christ is the focal center of your life, then your brothers and sisters will be what you will love, whom you will love and what you will do in your life and, and whom you will serve. That's why we read the Apostle, and I'm giving you a few verses, himself said in 2 Corinthians 2.15, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. This is how we're meant to live. This is how we're meant to live, so that we can live a legacy. And we know the legacy that Paul left behind. We know what Paul desired was. We're going to see it all the more when we look at Timothy because his desire was that Timothy will be the next person who will follow him. And he did. Paul's desire was for Christ to be magnified. And he left behind these wonderful words of a man who is left now in a prison all by himself. In 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8, he says, Now I can say this. I am being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. But what does he say? He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, they laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. I don't know about you, but I want that to be on my tombstone. I want that to be on my tombstone. We have to examine ourselves. How are we living our lives now? What impacts are we having? The Apostle Paul still speaks to us, brothers and sisters. He says, I urge you, brethren, in chapter 12 of Romans, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service and worship. Let us hunger after righteousness. Let us seek to serve one another. Forgive one another. Stop grumbling with one another. Be at peace. Let us not grip through things of this world so tightly as somehow we are going to take something with us. May we listen to the words of Job, for naked I come, I came, and naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That ought to be in our forefront. Let us not chase after worldly pleasures, but eternal rewards. Be content with what you have and what you do not have. 
Serve the brethren. Pray for one another. Let us strive to enter the kingdom of God so that we can die rightly. Let us wholly devote ourselves to Christ. That the legacy, perhaps, if the Lord wills it, of our lives will be seen when we're gone. Giving yourself away in a service for the body of Christ is not madness. It's joy. But I want to speak to you who have not come to saving faith yet. Let me explain to you something. Everything that you've heard this far, if you try to do this, will mean absolutely nothing for you. Because the only offering that you need to be concerned about, it is the offering that Jesus Christ poured out His blood that you may have life in Him. It is a cup that you cannot drink, but Jesus drank when the wrath of God was poured out upon Him. And in Him, to look to Him and Him alone and trust Him that He may grant you, grant you life, that He may forgive your sins, that He may make you a new creation and then you can live your life joyfully by serving your brethren. Until then, you're nothing but a religious person. Until then, you're trying to earn grace. Until then, you serving the brethren means absolutely nothing for reward for you. Until you come to the acknowledgement that Christ and Him alone, He died and He was risen from the grave. And if you look up on Him, Jesus promised that whoever will come to Him, I will not cast out. And he asks you, even this morning, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And only then you will find joy and you will find satisfaction, and then you can give it to the brethren. I pray that God spoke to you as he has with me, that my joy rests in Christ in service to the brethren. May this be a, a time of reflection, how we are serving, a time of examining if we're actually in the faith. For the Apostle Paul began this not whilst he was in prison, but from the day that he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. When he was knocked down, he was blinded for three days, and when Christ gave him sight to see and a heart to receive, from that day forth, the Apostle Paul became the Apostle Paul. Amen. Father God, how great it is not to step into your presence, Lord, and to acknowledge you. There is no greater joy, Father, than to serve you, 